everybody. Welcome back to season four of Breaking Bad. I know you guys have been waiting a long time. We really appreciate it. We actually went through uh, somewhat of a long hiatus ourselves. We weren't that happy about it, but now we're back. So um, we've got a really great season for you guys. Um, I hope that you guys really enjoy it. We have enjoyed it. In fact, we are not finished. Um, we are uh, about halfway through editing our season at this point, but we knew that uh, in three weeks when we premiere, we knew that you guys would be hot for these podcasts, so we are here to do these podcasts because I think that there would be, you know, a mutiny of our fans if we didn't. So, well, who are you? My name is Kelly Dixon. Yeah. I think you know by now. <laughs> but uh, I'm here today with uh, my executive producer, Vince Gilligan. Hello. The star of our show, Brian Cranston. <laughs> <laughs> He's so shy. One of our producers, co-executive producer, Melissa Bernstein. Yay. Hello. The editor of this episode, Skip McDonald. Hi there. Woohoo! And our music supervisor, Thomas Gullivich. Hi. You want to talk about how uh, so eventually people can watch this and not just listen to it? Well, why don't you talk about it since you just started? Go for it. I'm shy. <laughs> <laughs> As an experiment last year, we brought some cameras in and we put it actually on our DVD to record this podcast. Now it's become like a full-blown production with a multicam and everything. So I guess you'll see this if you care to on the DVD. It'll probably be out in, what, about a year or so? Yeah, it'll be a while. <laughs> so Good things come to those who watch. After they watch the show, it's not available on... Wait. The folks who immediately can partake of this will hear it in audio form. Uh, the good news about listening to it early is it'll be the longer version. Uh, when when we cut it down to the video uh, podcast that we will include on the DVD set for season four, much like with season three, it'll be a much shorter, like five or ten minutes each. So you get the full on an expurgated uh, audio version, but then you get a shorter video version, but with it's the full frontal nudity. So. And, it's, <laughs> and it's just basically to see like uh, what we look like because you know. It's it's like there's no I don't think there's any extra content on yeah. it. There's no at that extra point content. after after about thirty seconds of the first one you turn it off. Yeah, exactly. Like, okay. But the one thing that you do get to see is uh, we are now in our writer's room, so there are like little there's all kinds of things on the yeah. wall that you know you might be able to zoom in on and See if you can see some spoilers, although I think we've cleared the room of spoilers. That's, that's our board behind us. And, and just to describe it, it's just a big bulletin board with a bunch of 3 by 5 cards on it that uh, uh, knocks out the story, what, brick by brick. Yeah. Well, you know, I wanted to, I'm glad you brought this up. I, I wanted to start in, um, I always like to talk about the writer's room, and I especially like to let our listeners know about the writer's room, because I think a lot of people out there, I know I've said this before, but a lot of people out there really think that in all TV shows, everything is mapped out for five, six, seven years. And I've heard from you now on The X-Files, one of my favorite shows. I've heard from you now on this show, one of my favorite shows, um, that that is usually not the case. Well, you try to, and, and, and you, those are two different shows you mentioned. I mean, in the sense of The X-Files is, is a little more standalone-ish. But but Breaking Bad, it's hard to watch Breaking Bad out of order because it's so very serialized. I, I say hyper serialized. So but, so two different shows, but but each you, you don't always have it all plotted out for months or years on end. Right, and yeah. I mean I know I might have mentioned this uh, before in in one of these podcasts, but I remember working on the pilot with you, um, and I remember uh, us coming back from lunch one day after eating at Bob's Big Boy. And uh, we were about halfway through working on the pilot. We we're working on your director's cut, and I said, Vince, so what's going to happen after the pilot? 
And the thing that you said to me was you said, well, I don't think it's going to end well for anybody. <laughs> but that, but don't that's, ruin it. <laughs> no, but I mean, <laughs> no, but I mean, it's like I thought that for sure you would have had, you know, this whole thing like mapped out. I thought that, you know, when you wrote the pilot that you pretty much knew everything mm. that was going to happen. Nah. And I know that I've asked you this or I've gone over this before on the pilot. I mean, uh, on, on our podcast. And you've said over and over, no, well, we don't. It gets dangerous to, to be inflexible in the sense. I, not, it's not a matter of being flexible or inflexible. Just most of the time you just you can't, you're not capable of thinking that far ahead. But if you are, the danger is becoming, the danger is in becoming perhaps inflexible. For instance, way back when, when we started, it was my intention to kill off Aaron, uh, Jesse Pinkman. Yeah, that Aaron was Bonner. a mistake, but uh, <laughs> you had your opportunity. I uh, would have been good. To <laughs> no, that's, go that's, on that's another that. thing. I, I just kind of want to. Um, I want to reiterate. I know that we talked about this. I think in season two podcast, but I also want to. I want to mention this very, very briefly because it's still out there. Um, when we did season one, we were stopped by the Writers Guild. Uh, by the strike that happened, the yeah. Writers Guild strike, yeah. and then when we came back in season two with that, you know, that opening with Tuco and everything like that, and then we killed Tuco off. Everybody, you know, people swore up and down that that was really the end of season one, and you have said over and over again that no, no. you had a different ending. No, for, very different so that's ending. case in point. That's one of the things that you know. Yes, this is how we change. Things change yeah, every yeah. year, and you it's not that you have it. everything. Yeah you know, planned out. So with that said, um, what I'm curious about is, okay, the end of season three, writer's room, when you guys are, you know, not stopping, you guys are finished. I remember you guys had champagne at the end of season three, you know, actually every day. (laughs) We always get them drunk. You have, you had champagne at the end of season three. You had decided to kill Gail, but did you think about what would happen next at all? Yeah, I mean, it'd be fun to say, nah, we just turn off the lights and go home and then worry <laughs> about it next after the hiatus. But no, we we, we always, uh, I love how people think we paint ourselves into corners at the end of every season, and we want it to feel that way. But we come up with these sort of cliffhanger moments and these paint yourself into a corner moments, but we, we don't stick with them we don't actually execute them we don't write them into script form and have you guys shoot them uh, unless we we have a pretty good idea of how we're going to get out of it or what's going to happen next okay so, so you because that'd be dangerous that. that'd be okay. kind of that'd be kind of uh it'd be a little crazy so you did there. actually go forward with what you were what, what, with what was going to happen after you well, killed yeah Gail. now everybody who's uh, listening to this podcast no doubt has seen the episode episode one and uh now everybody knows that gail was indeed killed by uh, uh jesse that that is what happened and yeah that was the plan all along and i have to confess uh i was surprised that people were 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 thrown by the end of I mean not thrown I, I was surprised that there was confusion relating to the last up the last scene of episode uh, right 13 I was surprised at that too well it, it was not intentional on my part to confuse anyone I actually wanted to make it as clear as a bell uh, and and to that end uh, I directed that episode and what we did in that last shot is we we uh, we put a big piece of Lexan in front of the camera to protect our camera operator Andy. And, and he and his camera dolly jacks, uh, uh, dolly grip jacks, uh, 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 
uh, dolly the camera right into so that it was looking right down the barrel of uh, Jesse's, Jesse's gun, gun and yeah. then Aaron fires the blank right into the lens and I was thinking to me that that couldn't be any more clear but the trouble is in hindsight and I, I understand now what, what confused people it looks it's a tight enough shot you don't realize the camera's moving uh, you, you do if you watch the background very closely but but what people were confused by is it looks instead Perhaps like uh, the camera's not moving, but Jesse is moving, and Moved he's changing his, arm, yeah. his point of aim. Right. So, and I think that coupled with the fact that for a lot of folks, a lot of folks don't want to see, and me, me too, me included, don't want to see Jesse be a murderer. Mm -hmm. But you know, or see Gail go. Or see Gail yeah, go. Yeah, I gotta well, say, I was so di dis disappointed when I heard that you guys were gonna kill Gail, because Gail is really fun, and he's. He's very fun to cut, and he's... he's really oh, get over him. Come on. He's I dead. He's gone. You know Let's what? move on. I was so excited to see him at, the, you know, the beginning of the year party. He's like, oh, maybe he's back. And actually, you have thrown, you know, a little bit of a, of a you know, kind of kink in it because he actually is back. We open up with him. Yeah. yeah. People come back he's on the time. He's very much alive. Show. You're right. Yeah, because the storytelling is non chronological if that's the right way to word it sometimes you know and you, and you who knows you may see him again this season perhaps yeah so that's the way it works sometimes on this so show. that's how we open up and you know it's it's the brand new lab and the guys you know uh uh, uh gail is talking to gus about how pure the product is right. and how he can't really match it but he really would like to know who it is that you know has cooked this Absolutely perfect specimen of. <laughs> of of meth, um, but uh, you know that's so. You guys basically you had to clear out that lab that you built last year mm -hmm. and bring in and create all that equipment up and basically not, not me personally. Well, yeah. no, no. Our wonderful you our wonderful production that, designer right? and and Michael Flower, uh, Mark Freeborn, our production designer, Michael Flowers, our wonderful set decorator and their crews. Yeah, did a good job. Uh, you know, making it look like it had, it like was just, just exactly, mm -hmm. yeah. Built a lot of good crates. And, of course, <laughs> important to have that uh, box cutter. Yeah. You know, right. establish yeah, I mean, that. I, let right. me ask you this, too, because, Vince, I know that you spend, you, you get pictures of a lot of the choices that, you know, these department heads will make. So how many box cutters were, were like, you know, given to you to choose from? We actually had an artist in Sweden design that box cutter for us really? at a cost of $118,000. Really? Thank you, Sony. <laughs> if you'd like to purchase that, you can go online. Now, you're right. It's what you just said. Our, our, our great uh, prop uh, master, Mark Hansen, and his crew, they just they showed me uh, photos of probably two or three dozen box cutters. And we, dozen? Eh, you know, maybe, wow. maybe not that many. Maybe two. Box cutters. Two box cutters. <laughs> <laughs> two, two, now, probably uh, somewhere between two or three dozen and two. Uh, probably, probably he showed me like twelve or fourteen of them, and then uh, I picked. Uh, I green. picked one. I like the green. I like the green because it popped now, against the red. Let me ask you, yes. because no, be, nice because the story, uh, you can't have a box cutter just show up in a lab out of nowhere. Right. So you knew that you would have to establish it somewhere earlier in the scene before. Yeah. The first act. Yes. So is that how you got to using uh, developing the flashback to to become the teaser? Yes, exactly. We tried. We wanted him to kill uh, Victor with a staple gun, but we couldn't figure out how to. No. We just had a staple. <laughs> we couldn't figure out story wise. No, you're right. It's it's the old. Uh, who was it? Was it? 
the, the who was the Russian playwright? Was it was it Chekhov or was it the said if you have a gun if you oh, if you Chekhov. see the Chekhov if you, yeah. you have to use it yeah and uh, yeah you, if you if you establish a gun in Act One you need to have it fired by Act Three and since you know otherwise so, you really are misleading the audience he was great but at Star but Trek. what's great about is that <laughs> in Chekhov yes <laughs> of course Captain um, <laughs> but it was germane to the story yeah. so it was. Planted, yeah. But I don't think the audience really realized that that was yeah. the plant, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it was German. You know, he has to open yeah, up yeah. all these boxes, and the focus was on the purity of the meth and that sort of thing. So yeah. we see it, we establish it, but then it's like out of our minds. Well, it's well, it's a good thing you bring up because it's one of those things where you want to hit it just hard enough, but you don't want to hit it too hard, right? And so then the question is, what is just enough and what is too much and, and a lot of that comes down first of all uh, the wonderful acting and the wonderful directing from adam bernstein or uh he and michelle mclaren behind the camera there are two go-to directors uh and he adam did a great job and then uh skip you did a great job cutting this episode and that's one of those things i would imagine that you th- you think about you know how long do i hold on this shot because yes. he, he sets it down in the teaser on the box and then he walks away how long how many f- seconds how many frames, which is, you know, a frame is 124th of a second, do you yeah. hold on this thing? Yeah, it's a tough choice because you don't want to stay too long because then it's so obvious mm-hmm. what it is. But if you're not there long enough, people may not see it or register it. So it, it is. It's a fine line where you want to go with it. And that's really subjective, isn't it? I mean, yes. Some people will say it's not long enough. Some people say it's too long. That's yeah. true. But so much of editing, the more I spend time in the editing room with you and with you, Kelly, it just so much of it, the fun... I enjoy it more and more when we're not on a real tight deadline. I enjoy it more, but it's like <laughs> I love. I love. It's it's like it's like I, I know nothing, uh, Thomas, about composing music or whatever. But I, I wish I did. But it feels almost like, I mean, the rhythms of the the editing. It's 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 it's. You want to tell the story visually. You want to use the right shots and the right sequence. But but it's also the rhythm of how long do you hold on this cut? How long do you hold on that cut? Yes. It's almost like, I would think, almost like composing music in some weird way. Yeah, I'm not a composer either, but I would imagine it's someplace along that. So you just, you know, you keep the tempo going at the right rate yeah. so you can see what you need to see but not give things away and be on the right place at the right time. Yeah. I think so much of the magic of Breaking Bad is the fact that everybody is kind of playing it like a waltz. You know, everyone knows just how much to lean in on things and how, you know, how far we need to go. And I think part of the joy for us in post-production is that we've already seen the performances. We already have in front of us, you know, the art direction, and we have the editing as well. So we have a real sense of the rhythm of it. So it's just a question of trying to make sure that our game is as elegant and as uh, seamless as everyone else's. I don't know. I always describe it as I just feel it in my heart. It's it's what I feel, you know. And I mean, you may have a different rhythm than I do, but it's just it really comes down. I have Skip and I've talked about this before. Right. It really comes down to what you feel, you know, is 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 the right thing. And look into it. your heart. I do. No, 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 that's the way I do it. it. Your heart it's black. Your or There's nothing. You know. <laughs> Let's get Melissa talking here. Yeah, I, I will say. I, I don't say, trust her when she's quiet. I want to say something about <laughs> Melissa that you know Slotting. maybe um, a lot of people probably don't know is uh, our co-executive Melissa uh, Bernstein had a baby this fall and we're all very very excited we're 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 very happy we're all very excited (laughs) our our 
our pride and joy, really. <laughs> he might be yours. He's a redhead. <laughs> Melissa had a little boy. Melissa had a little boy. And what's also interesting about it is, you know, for Melissa, this is a family affair. Her husband, Jordan, is uh, one of our camera assistants. And so she trucked it over uh, with the Jordan and little baby to uh, Albuquerque, and my and, mom. and 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 yeah. got much much help from uh, from her mother, yeah, uh, to help uh, help take care of little baby Lee, yeah. And um, congratulations, Melissa. Thank you. And, and you will see uh, baby Lee as baby Holly's photo double later in the season. Oh. Spoiler alert! <laughs> the child in the show business. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Back off. <laughs> what what episode is that? It's episode four. Four, I believe, is where where he is. Where where you can start to catch sight of him? Really, I did four. I didn't I didn't know this. Really, mm-hmm. huh? So. Wow. Well, Lee is very feminine at the time. <laughs> no, he's not really. He's all boy now. He's all boy. He's all boy. <laughs> I think you should talk about it because everybody hears about. Everybody knows the term producer, but what is what is, what do you actually do as a producer? I think. Let's take, for instance, uh, the, the scene in the lab where Victor gets knifed. It's not about just, uh, well, this uh, prosthetic goes on his neck and we have a blood pump and well, let's, you know, let's cross our fingers and hopefully that all works and we can get out. Just give a, a brief example of the phone calls, the emails, the tests, and everything that goes in... That is involved in a in a in a stunt like that. Uh, well, uh, Michelle McLaren and I uh, produced the show, and with with Stuart Lyons, and we have a number of other producers that uh, specialize in various areas. But we start with you know the writers started up in July, and as sort of big scenes are coming together, Vince starts to let us know so that we can start turning things over in our minds, and so so we are working on these. Things you know, essentially, as soon as we know about the big scenes, and you know, this this obviously was a a major component of the episode. So we did hear about it early, and we started talking about how to execute on their vision, which is always what we do. So we start out, you know, we get once we're in production, we get the departments together, um, who at this point have read the script because luckily the writers had gotten a, a great head start this season mm-hmm. and had uh, written a number of the episodes before we started shooting the show. Um, and we talk about you know what needs to get done, what the intention is, what the goals are, and then and then we divide and conquer essentially um, for for the the throat slitting portion. We got um, K and B Greg Nicotero, who uh, Greg who also works on AMC's sister sh- uh, our sister show AMC's The Walking Dead. Um, and his partner, Howard Berger, who's actually done the Chronicles of Narnia for Mark Johnson, um, incredibly talented prosthetic, prosthetic mm-hmm. makeup people, and started talking about what Vince and the writers had uh, in mind, what they really wanted it to look like. So we get them started on tests, um, you know, and I, w- I mean, how many tests do you think we went through? We did a lot. Yeah, a lot. I mean, yeah. It, it, because we're trying to, like that, yeah. Vince's uh, off. Yeah, yeah. They shoot them on video yeah. and then email them, email them to us, where we take a look, and then Vince and the writers and the producers all weigh in on what what we the fine line between saw and something that's really really <laughs> scary. Yeah. Um, we we wanted this to be in this, for instance, in this case, we wanted this to be more shocking than gory. I mean, yeah. it it is bloody, it's gory. but it's mm-hmm. but it's it should be. 
more shocking than anything else. And yeah. what should this spray be like? And, yeah. you know, and how much and what the color of the blood should look like and what the color of the blood should look like opposite the floor. So we did a separate test on blood viscosity, yeah. like with little pieces of the tile of the floor. Yeah. This is, by the way, this goes to show how you can't plan out everything in advance, because if I had known we'd have a scene like this, in season four, we would not have had a red floor <laughs> yeah. in the Superland. We, would, we would not have. Um, we, were, we were worried about that. We're worried about it showing up, yeah. And we're working very closely with the director who is in Burbank. The writers, I'm sorry, the writers and Vince are in Burbank for the most part. Our director and our, our team is in in Albuquerque. So we're trying to bring everybody together to make sure that all the elements are in place, um, all the pieces are in place so that everybody can do, you know, their thing. I mean, for even for you, uh, Brian, in, in that scene, there's a lot of technical dialogue. There was a lot of there was a lot to that scene. But I master that really quickly. <laughs> I probably you probably couldn't throw me in no. any regard because I I have a uh, pornographic memory. And, um, <laughs> Let me ask you be... something, Brian. Though I mean, at the end of season three, when Gail was shot, did you know what was coming next? Did you tell Did you tell Brian what was coming next? I'll tell Brian anything I know when he asks, but sometimes you don't want to know, right? No, it doesn't. It doesn't really serve me to know too far in advance the, uh, Walt is is a guy who who doesn't know what's going to happen to him the next hour let alone the next day or week or right. and by reading too far in advance I became confused because I would go into a scene in episode four let's say and I've already read five six and you come in with information in episode four that I don't yet know and it's Oh, wait a minute, I get confused, and I, oh, that's right, I don't know that yet. So it, it, I really didn't find that it served me well. So I, I, I don't really want to know. No. I like the idea of, of uh, reading the script a week in, a, in advance, and, uh, and then if there are any questions to raise at that point, uh, there's still some time to be able to, to you know, for clarification. And that's well, right. let me ask you this, though. So at the end of season three, when you basically are being taken hostage by Mike and you're waiting all summer or, you know, for that long. I'm just know. like the fans. I had no idea what was going on. Okay. <laughs> Truly, I, I didn't know what was going to happen. And then so most of the episode, most of episode um, uh, 401, you're panicked in the lab. You know, you're stuck in the lab with Jesse and you're just panicked. I mean... Is that in an in anti-Americly uh, way? Yeah, that's the, that sort of fashion. Yeah. I hate to throw that out there. Did, uh, did you and Aaron talk about though what um, what you finally had talk read? To one another. Oh, really? Okay. We're not allowed to. Talk. It's a contractual thing. Yeah. So we, did you guys talk at all when you no. found out what was going to happen? Did you? What kind of discussion? No, most of the, the most of the conversation between the actors when we're reading the script is is. Oh my God! Did you read it yet? And then we kind of hover. As I haven't read it yet. Okay. And then Aaron will be hovering over my shoulder as I'm reading it because he can't wait to see my reaction. To certain it's that. It's that great. So um, that's how we share that. But and we don't want to hear it. We don't. We want to read it ourselves. So. Okay. Well, let me ask you, Vince, um, and also Melissa, if you want to weigh in on this, as far as like you know, um, you're going to kill Victor. What do you tell Victor? What do you, I don't know the actor's name. Uh, Jeremiah. 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 Right. Who's a very sweet uh, young man and a very good actor. Uh, I think uh, we took him uh, aside uh, a week or two before we, we shot that. And 
and, yeah. and let them give them a heads up uh, because it seems only right to, to do that. The yeah. good news with um, with the characters that die on this show is they have glorious deaths. <laughs> so you say, oh, cool. And further, no one's ever really dead on Breaking Bad because yeah. people tend to come back yeah. um, in out of time flashbacks yeah. or. You know, TBD. Perhaps. Yes, we'll Perhaps. see. But that's a, that's a nice silver lining for dying on Breaking Bad. Yeah. There's always there's always a possibility of of the future. He did a great job with that death scene too, and uh, as did obviously everyone in the scene, and and Giancarlo Esposito, who is the one who kills him, is it? And and Adam Bernstein <laughs> who directed it. Just I was not there for the shooting of that. How how long? How many yeah. takes with all the blood going mm. everywhere? Well, it's brutal because you have to shoot at uh, 360 degrees, basically, yeah. you know. And so there were several takes, and he's in this sticky concoction of, you know, blood, and 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 then we have to clean him up and do it from a different angle, yeah. and this. So he was in the goop for many, many hours, uh, and it was it was it's issues too. yeah, they're matching issues, so that you you have to make sure when you're shooting the coverage that that uh, he was grabbed at the same place in the same time because you don't want to see that you guys you editors deal yeah. with that all the time you see arms down here then arms up here arms down here arms up here and it's like oh god there, and there yeah, was no. actually an interesting thing that happened in that scene on set is when we did the throat slitting um the blood got all over john carlos face yeah yeah and we hadn't anticipated that and it was one take that that happened yeah. and yeah. the question was are are we ready to commit to this? Because yeah. it does yeah. become an issue in because terms of matching and coverage. For, 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 from I'm, then on, yeah. you have to... Yeah, because then we have to keep the continuity yeah. the same throughout because the blood did change. Sometimes yeah. there was more, sometimes there was less. So we had to pick a Which way to go. Which take was yeah. going to be the hero. And, and, and yeah. go with that. Yeah. And, and Vince was in Burbank that day when we shot it. So Adam's like, call him. Tell him. And so literally we were taking pictures on our phones yeah. to email Vince to show him what Giancarlo looked like yeah. with the blood streaming down his face. And, you know, and, and Vince, what you always do is you're like, what, what's the feeling there? What do you guys think? And, I mean, we all g- agreed it was badass. Oh, it's great. And yeah. we like, committed. What do you feel in your heart? Yeah. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> it, it it wasn't. It, it was something that Listen we, yeah, we didn't heart. see coming. But. Well, especially you know, Giancarlo Esposito is terrific in the role, and he's he is uh, in real life, as we know, he is a, a warm, uh, you know, loving, approachable, uh, metaphysical kind of man who, who you know, just loves uh, people and engages yeah. in people. And when he asks you how you are, it's like, hey, how, how are you? It's like, really, tell me how you are, you know. And uh, and then when he acts as Gus Fring, he just goes dead. Yeah, His yeah. eyes go dark, <laughs> and he just drops. And yeah, it's yeah. so it makes it easier for the actors to work opposite yeah, him. Yeah, yeah. And when he was doing that scene, and I'm staring at him, and and he cuts, and he has no expression, uh, and he's looking directly at me, and he slices his throat, and there was a splatter of blood, some on his glasses, some drawing down his face. No expression change. Yeah. It wasn't like uh, it, he didn't flinch. It wasn't. It was just. It's oh, just. Wow. And that's why I thought that's that's the hero because yeah, it yeah. was just so yeah, yeah. so in command. Yes. Uh, yes. And Greg Nicotero and Howard Berger and their crew uh, really did a hell of a job with that. That is really shocking. That yeah. moment. The, the, the wound was in there, and then our wonderful uh, visual effects folks erased the wound up until the moment that it appears. 
And then it just, there's an awful lot of logistics. Speaking of being a producer, there's so many logistics and so many yeah. different people you got to get communicating with each other and you have to be a go-between. Yeah. Stunts, to, costumes, yeah. makeup. Uh, I mean, really, and every and the art department, everybody has some hand in a big scene like that. And you got to take care of the baby, too. That's right. Holy cow. Oh, yeah, she's nursing the baby as she's <laughs> nothing. But I have to say, my favorite, I think my, honestly, my favorite moment in the episode, Adam, like Adam Bernstein, I just think is a genius, is Walt is is you know this is going on and there's a shot of Walt's foot and he moves yeah. it back as the blood is yeah. oh yeah, yeah, yeah that was really feet. cool I saw that and it thing. just it like nearly stopped my heart yeah. I just Adam great is amazing I'd love to that say was that was in the script but it was not and that was Adam came a great shot Adam did a hell of a job directing it Skip did a hell of a job cutting it and God knows the actors are fantastic and it is it uh, it's plenty shocking and I mean again as some we're speaking of earlier we're on the ratio on the on the uh, spectrum of, of shocking versus just plain gory, I, I really I mean this is a horrific scene. Obviously, no no kids should ever see it. You know, not until they're old enough. And, and it's not for everybody. This show period, and certainly not this episode. But even within that, there, that's to, oh, that's our disclaimer. Yeah, but you, but you want it to be you, you you know we're again we're not trying to make Texas Chainsaw Massacre. We're trying to. You know, nothing wrong with that, but that's not what this is. We're just trying to be shocking as hell and not just plain bloody and gory and no, nasty. No, but the, the thing about it, what the distinction is that it would be gratuitous if it didn't make story sense. And it did make story sense. Yeah. Because I hope the, so. yeah, the reason, it, it definitely it does, does yeah. because yeah. the reason, you know, we know Gus Fring doesn't and cannot tolerate loose ends. Yeah. And we find out through um, Victor's conversation with Mike that he was at the scene of the crime. There were witnesses yeah. who saw him there. Yeah. He stepped inside the room, so at least he could be identified. Yeah. He was exposed. Yeah. And so, and that's kind of mentioned and established, yeah, yeah. but it didn't really stick un- until you think back. And if you go, why would he kill Victor? Yeah. You know, why, why, why? And you go, oh, no, it does make sense because he did. I agree. Uh, and, the, further, so. and furthermore, a message had to be sent. This is this is what I would like to be doing to you. I think is what yeah. Gus is silently <laughs> saying. Only I can't because currently you've 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 checked you've checkmated or whatever the chess term Check. is. You've checked me here, yeah. and and uh, I'm doing this by proxy, and don't think I'm ever yeah. going to forget. And but the fact that he does it himself, which is I think is really interesting, because he could have had Mike do it. But he doesn't. He does it himself, and he does it. And I mean, that's really brutal. I mean, it's it's almost as it's sort of not almost as, but it's kind of like a parallel with what Walt had to do to Crazy Eight. It's very. I mean, that's a hard death. I mean, it's you could take a gun and shoot somebody from far away and not have, you know, have to deal with it. Like you know, the whole and he holds him too. He holds him and yeah. Vince's metaphor is perfect. It's it's a chess game, and Gus plays chess. He has he knows that you know. He has several things he has to accomplish here. Lose a loose end, establish for Walt uh, an important thing of uh, mm-hmm. what their relationship is going to be from here on out. And Jesse is the only one who really figures that out in many ways because Jesse is sort of clear in the Denny's scene about what their relationship really is, yeah. where Walt is still in denial. So in a way, it's back to Gus's you know, long game for season four yeah. in that yeah. this is sort of where he's going to move and he has made this decision very clearly in his mind and he's going to follow through with it as bloody as it is, with as dispassionately yeah. and as thoughtful. Hopefully, as he does. 
You got to put your employees on notice every now and then. And I, I learned this through, you know, trial yeah. and error. We hate when we see the writers getting killed in front yeah, of us. Yeah, that's yeah. Really <laughs> But everyone else... It gets us know, on our game. Yeah. Yeah. You pick up your game. And let me mention, you know, like, uh, Saul now is really, really scared. He's got a new bodyguard. Yo, Huel. Oh, Huel. Yes. Yeah, you don't know his name yet, do you? I guess... Uh, spoiler. Uh, you know what? Spoiler. No, that's not a spoiler. <laughs> everyone should know... Uh, uh, Played by uh, the wonderful Lavelle Crawford, yeah, the wonderful Lavelle Crawford, who's an. Uh, Where did you come up with Huel Hauser? Huel Hauser. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah. <laughs> they don't remind me of one another so much, but it's just a great name. <laughs> and I, I, I must say that I was glad to see Francesca back too. Francesca's great, oh, played Francesca. by Tina. Tina's uh, Tina's great. Yeah, uh, she is. She's yeah. incredible. <laughs> she's. Re- I love that scene. That that uh, yeah. Uh, Lavelle so, Lavelle's a stand-up comic and, and also really? very talented as an actor and uh, and has also a little baby. Yeah. Did he just little have Lavelle. a little baby? He had a, a little Lavelle. Oh, Lavelle Jr. Seven or eight months. Yeah. Wow. I don't think there's anything little about Lavelle. <laughs> 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 and he's gonna you're gonna see uh you're gonna see a little more Huel this year. Yeah. Um but what I thought was funny was when Saul is like crawling around his office looking for bugs and the columns I I never thought I thought the columns were just attached and they just kinda <laughs> topple over like a floor lamp. That's a great touch. Those those columns are all made out of styrofoam. They really are and painted to look like uh, you know and, But I just thought I they, didn't think they moved. No, I know. And and that was a fun that was a fun moment on the set of uh <laughs> Where literally the columns get moved all the time for the crew to get in there with the dolly or the lighting or whatnot, and I was, uh, or I think it was I don't know who it was. It, might, it was probably it was probably actually uh, Adam. Uh, watch, watching watching uh, this stuff get moved around, and, and uh, Adam said, uh, "Wouldn't it be funny if he did this on camera instead of just yeah yeah," because they only weigh probably thirty pounds a piece. Yeah. So now that Hank is bedridden. And you know, because he got shot, and but he's you know he's uh, he's in uh, what do you call it yeah. therapy. He's in, <laughs> he's in therapy, right? But he's got a new hobby. So how did you guys come up with this new little hobby? Honestly, I don't remember. It was just something the sort of the group <laughs> mind in the writers' room came. Yeah, yeah, you got your crystals here. Uh, Something that Walt could actually, you know, step on frequently enough, too. Yeah. That's part of the joy of it, is that Walt knows just enough about the subject that he's going to take any of the thunder Hank might enjoy off of it a little bit. Maybe. That could happen. That's a thought. Sometimes it's just uh, something just feels right. Okay. When you're in the writer's room. in your heart. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But let me ask you, let me ask this though. Um, when you first started the season, you got all your writers together around this very table, yeah. in this very room, and you said, "Okay, how was everybody's summer?" And let's sit down and we start. You have you can't write episode one without really kind of having an idea of what thirteen is, yeah. can you? I mean, you have to have a, a general idea of the scope of the year. Well, first of it? all, I, I rarely show interest in my writers' personal. Yeah, that's true. But. <laughs> <laughs> or anyone else. Or anyone else. Really. <laughs> How does this relate to me? Yeah. <laughs> now, uh, that's a good question. We we um, uh, we do typically at the start of any season. We sit around for. I think this season because we knew we had a little more time. We sat around probably for three weeks, and talked what we called you know broad strokes. And we talked. We didn't worry too much about the very first episode. We would. It's you know it works best when when you have time first of all and luckily this season we did the the, the long hiatus the long wait everybody had which I am I do apologize for although it was it was not my idea it's not but making lemonade out of lemons it worked out pretty well for for us writers because it gave us a lot of time to 
to sit back and not worry too much about the clock ticking and, and, and think things through. And, and the best way to do that is to have that time, which we made use of this year, to sit around for two or three weeks and just say, you know, where do we want to head with this thing? Where, where should it go? And, and you, you, you want to mix the long-range thinking with the organic storytelling, which is a brick-by-brick brick thing where it's like, where's Walt, Walter White's head at right this minute that we left off in Season 3? Where's his head at right now? What's he afraid of? What's he hoping for? What's Jesse? What does Jesse want? What does Skylar want? What does uh, Hank want? Uh, you know, uh, Marie, RJ, all these. You, you go back and forth all day long and you say, where's everybody's head at right now? And you try to build the story brick by brick. And yet some other part of your brain is thinking, where do we want to head with this thing? What are the big moments we want to, we want to you know, uh, plot out and work toward? And yet you don't want to work toward them in a sort of a hammering a square peg into a round hole sort of way. You want to get to them organically. You want to get to them and not feel like you're, 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 cheating in your storytelling uh efforts in order to get to a certain big you know bravura moment so it's but yeah it, it was helpful to us we had about three weeks and we just before we got too serious about episode one we just talked through the the broad strokes of the season and did you get to some kind of conclusion after the end of three weeks to say okay yeah I, we have an idea of where we want to get to at the end of the yeah, year. We had some pretty... And then now let's make the roadmap. Yeah, we had some big moments figured out that uh, that we abided by for the whole season. Stuff you will see at the end of season four was stuff that we initially had thoughts of in the first week or two. And, and, then, and is... then other stuff we came up with that was dead ends that we didn't wind up doing. Mm-hmm. So. But it, to digress just for a second, in season three, it was all about that. Yeah. It was from very first episode, the planting of the the pink bear season two yeah yeah you're right you're right season, that was season two yeah <laughs> they, they do they do tend to run together they do tend to uh, run together. yeah but yes that was very much that leading right. all the way up to the to midair collision yeah. yeah uh you couldn't you had to know oh, yeah. where it was going in order to well even then we only knew the broad strokes we knew that the teddy bear in the pool once we committed to the teddy bear in the pool we knew it was a result of a plane crash and we knew that the plane crash i mean this this is not something we arrived at. This is just drama 101. It's not good storytelling if the plane crash is just some meaningless coincidence. It was we knew that Walter White had to at least inadvertently be the be a main contributing cause to mm-hmm. that plane crashing. So we knew those 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 major milepost things. Mm-hmm. But then we had to figure out we had to work out all the connective tissue. Uh, all the shoe leather uh, of storytelling that got us from point A to point Z there, and, and point Z being the, the plane exploding mm-hmm. over, over your head as right. you were sitting by the pool. But, you know, we didn't know exactly how we were going to get there. We we, we knew uh, it would probably involve Jesse and a girl he was dating, but did the girl kill herself? Did, you know, all the stuff about right. uh, her, uh, you know, the whole thing about actually Walt watching her, you know, overdose on heroin that that we didn't have that from the beginning that took a while to get to yeah so you have the major mile markers right. but you don't you, you sort of it's sort of like akin to having you know i want to drive cross country from uh new york to los angeles and i know where my ultimate destination is i want to wind up in santa monica you know looking out the ocean but how do i get there from here there's yeah. a lot of different ways you can go so then now season four obviously we're not going to give away what happens but do did you know, know? Did you know after that three weeks yeah. 
where you wanted season four to, to I honestly kind of can't up. remember. And I see George Masters out in the hallway waiting to do his podcast. What did when did we know how we we're gonna end the season, George? Um Boy, this season. Yeah, did we know it early on or did it come later in the season? I think we, like you said, I think we had a general idea for how it was going to end. But, yeah. Um, pretty early on, we always left it open, I think. I mean, we didn't always, we didn't say we must end it this way. Oh, come George. on in, George, be on mic to say that. Special guest star. Put your pants on first. <laughs> yeah. I'm George Masters. I'm trying to remember, yeah, I mean, I can't remember, of course, this is all academic for the folks watching because they don't know how the whole thing's going to end. But suffice it to say, there is an ending to the season. Absolutely. And, uh, and my question was just when I can't remember. I can't remember when we figured it out. Just to get the, the overall of how how it's structured, how you guys structure your time. I, I, you know. I will say I like to know as much as possible for as long as possible so that every yeah. every storytelling we can decision we can make will, will aid and benefit that ultimate you know, will will help us get to where we need get to, to go. Still, yeah. uh, having said that, though, if you if you if you nail it down too much too soon, and then you're a little rigid about, oh, we can't, you know, okay, this interesting side right. track has come up, but uh, we should stay away from that because we got to stay on track and stay right. on course, and then you can do yourself a disservice. Story story wise, yeah, my recollection is probably going to be different for every writer. Is we sort of had sign like signposts of big events we wanted to have happen, but we didn't know exactly where we were going to leave the character of Walter White at the end. We kind of left that a little bit open. Yeah. Um, and it kind of went back and forth. Yeah. He was in a, you know. But you guys were ready to move into breaking episode one by the end of those three weeks. So that was a good Honestly, yes and no. I mean, I'll, I'll take as much time farting around as I... But, but I mean, seriously. I mean, uh, writers are typically excellent uh, uh, procrastinators. and uh, But then at a certain point, you look up and you say, you know... It seems like we have all the time in the world, but we really don't. It finally dawns on you, you better start cracking. So we started working on the first episode about three weeks yeah. in. And writing decisions are generally made by the impending deadline because you, you, you waver all the way up until speaking the very end like, of it. So. Speaking of like impending deadlines, I think we're going to have to wrap up we soon. Have, and Thomas has got to talk about that last song. Yeah, I was gonna. I was gonna get that to that. I mean, unfortunately, we do have to wrap this up. But I wanted to um, talk about the Denny's restaurant that you guys had. Oh yeah, there. Denny's. And also, I want to talk about the Kenny Rogers shirts, which we might have to put off to the next podcast for two. We'll talk about your shopping forays. I promise. I bought. It's, a, it's a quick story. I bought. I bought uh, two Kenny Rogers shirts at a Walmart outside of Taos, New Mexico. <laughs> And because uh, I just I thought, you know, at some point I want Jesse wearing these. I didn't think it'd be Walt and Jesse both wearing them, but I bought like three or four of them in different sizes because they were cheap and because I loved them. Okay. And then I was in, I was in the checkout line and the lady behind me was like, oh, where did you get them Kenny Rogers shirts? We're <laughs> 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 over in the Husky Boy section. It's like a Pulp Fiction <laughs> nod, too, a little bit, right? Pulp Fiction nod. She said. He's, he's a fine singer. And I said, yeah, he he's is indeed. Man. Man. But, okay, he's, so, he's a damn handsome man, too. So talk uh, talk about the uh, the Denny's restaurant. I love the, the fact that, you know, it's a kind of a shout-out to episode 209. Where he's like, hey, there's got to be a Denny's around here. It is kind of. God bless Denny's for being cool with a shooting in one of their uh, fine restaurants, this one on Central Avenue. When you say a shooting in one of their fine restaurants, we can <laughs> clarify that. Yes. A filming. A filming. A filming. <laughs> And I have to say, I was that was the very first day of production on season four, yeah. and I was that was I was the only day I was there of production because uh, then I had to get back get back to writing. But yeah. I was there that day all day with you guys, 
And then you guys went up the street to my condo and shot in Walt's <laughs> Walt's condo, yeah. which is which is my actual condo, Holly and my condo. But uh, uh, the uh, that Denny's they cooked me. Uh, they had the real uh, wait staff and the real uh, uh, cook on duty that day. Yeah. Even though the restaurant was closed down for filming, and uh, the, the the cook cooked me a moons over my hammy sandwich. It was the best I've ever had. The best moons over Miami you've ever had. It was delicious. And we, we used a real-life Denny's waitress. Yeah, real-life yeah. Denny's waitress was our waitress. And she did a good job. She did great. She did great. So did let's great. Like, get a, a last little comment about the music then uh, from Thomas as far as... Well, we, we wait. I got more to say about the sandwich. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'll let it go. Go ahead. Uh, see now, now I'm screwed. <laughs> well, we, you know, we had a, we had a big ending on this thing, and sometimes for our episodes, we you know we'll use score sometimes to kind of close it out, and sometimes we'll put a song in. You know, Dave Porter does beautiful score, so a lot of times, you know, his touch is really what the scene wants, and sometimes we'll try out other things. I think we both tried on this one, and. Yeah. Um, uh, early on, we tried a few different ideas out, and there was a uh, an album that had just come out, actually, about a week before uh, I got an early uh, advance of it by an artist named Alex Ebert. He is uh, he was the sort of lead guy, or is the lead guy, in a um, uh, a group called Edward Sharp and the Magnetic Zeros. And he was also in a band called I'm a Robot, and he had his first uh, solo record, and there was a track called Truth that we just really loved and we just thought you know this kind of captures the breaking bad feeling it has sort of like a, a western quality to it and yeah. it's got a whistle that's in it's there sort of a reggae thing too a little reggae it kind yeah. of has all these weird genre things that yeah. we kind of touch on it's so hard to describe the music in this show but it's kind of all the different components and it just had a sort of a weird sauntering quality and yeah. you know Walt is walking away we have this really great shot where the you know the camera's following him as he's walking and he's kind of pulling his pants up his pants don't fit really well and he's got the that Kenny Rogers that was a touch that was Mr. Cranston's idea mm-hmm. by the way <laughs> It's kind of like, you know, the, he's once again the cowboy that's sort of walking away in the distance, but not quite as groovy as you might hope. And uh, then we end up going. Yeah. And, and then we get over to, you know, our crime scene, and we had to find a way to kind of get to that. And the big point, which is punching home, that the lab notes have been found. Now. Oh, that's right. That, that's a little adjunct to that. I forgot. That that's looks right. like trouble brewing. Yeah. Oh, I think everything will be okay. <laughs> <laughs> and Anna added a great line about. Acknowledging your ensemble in that last scene between Walt and Skyler. Uh, yeah, we chose to uh, to leave the the little. So- I love that was tag. a great touch, Kathleen. The tag our costume yeah, designer came up with the funny. thing on there. Yeah, the, uh, and, uh, the, the sticker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Size label because it's like they, they obviously in a hurry. They didn't <laughs> check the sizes of things, or they, and, and especially Walt didn't. You know, he's, his mind is elsewhere, yeah. so that was fun. And she yeah. peels it off. Yeah, she peels yeah. it off. There were a, she did a couple ad lib lines. I can't actually remember if if one of them made it in or not, but they well, were funny. Well, thank you, Kenny Rogers. Yeah. yeah, that was funny. That was funny. Yeah. yeah, and see, in my mind, she's peeling it yeah. off. I think she's Kenny Rogers. See, in and my mind, in my mind, Mike <laughs> went and bought. Yeah, yeah. In my mind, Mike went and bought it for you guys. Instead of you guys buying it, because I think even in a hurry, you wouldn't want to wear the same thing. Just yeah, I was just wondering. That sounds. That sounds. That's what I think. More <laughs> to me too. Yeah, he would just buy. Because you would have had to go in your bloody clothes to the Target or the Walmart or whatever right. to buy the clothes. That's yeah. It'd be nice to see Mike in line with the two Kenny Rogers shirts, <laughs> yeah. like yeah, checking yeah, yeah, out. Yeah. <laughs> Kenny Rogers. I like the red Converse. That's my favorite. Yeah. But hopefully folks are, uh, you know, it's a big, you know, and David Costable, who plays Gail, such a wonderful actor. And it's, you know, it's a big moment. And now Jesse is... Uh, We're going to miss him. 
Yeah, we're going to miss Dave. Oh, well, you may see him again. You know, Perhaps. no one dies forever on, uh, in a sense. That's on, a great uh, title for a, a James Bond movie. Nobody dies Nobody forever. Nobody dies forever. It messes with the stakes. I guess we should wrap it up. Nobody um, dies forever. Nobody dies forever. I guess we should wrap it up, huh? Uh, yeah. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Uh, Melissa? Did I talk about the Denny's and the sandwich? You talked Oh, yeah. yeah, they'll probably give you freed moons over my hammy now. And I prefer Viva La French Toast. That's very good. Yes. They you. got Baconalia going on now. Oh, yes. Baconalia? Baconalia. It's all about bacon. It's going to be a it's national holiday soon, I think. Can't be Denny's. Uh, can't be so, bacon. thank you, everybody, for listening once again. Um, this See you next was episode. Episode number 401. Uh, what is the title of this one? Box Cutter. Box, box this cutter. one is Box Cutter. Uh, written by Vince Gilligan, directed by Anna Bernstein. Thank you, Melissa, Brian, Vincent, Skip. And Thomas. Thank you, Kelly. Thank you, Kelly. Bye. Bye. Thank you, Kelly. Bye. Bye. We'll Thank see you everybody. Hey, everybody, go break bad. <laughs> <laughs>